0: They hit the crap out of us last year. We ended up winning the game, but uh, the guys were sore after. They, they did a good job running and hitting. They hit our receivers, uh, played physical up front, and you wouldn't expect anything less from a, a lovey Smith coached team. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer.
1: Welcome to the Go Big Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers. And I'm with Honky. Give me a B. I C Tory. Victory! <laughs> you were in such a hurry to get that out. You didn't want to spell out the entire word. I totally understand, Honky. Uh, it's been a while. I'm also with Mac.
2: Yeah. Well, we're clearly not used to celebrating victories on this <laughs> podcast, but I do appreciate Honky not spelling that all the way out. i um, I got really no hot take other than a victory is. To be celebrated today, we don't get a lot of these around here, so we're going to dive right in with some, some sweet, sweet breakdown. All right. I'm looking forward to it, Mac. Also with Boomer.
3: Well, so coming off that exciting Husker victory, uh, just kind of springboards me into some earlier games, uh, coming up this week. I'm looking forward to the exciting, uh, Wednesday clash of the Central Michigan Chippewas against the Western Michigan Broncos to determine who the best college football team in the state of Michigan is, because it sure as hell ain't the Wolverines or Spartans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, I, I think, uh, Jim Harbaugh would agree with that <laughs> almost at this point. Uh, well, I'm. Uh, we have a very special guest. Uh, Redcast Rob has joined us for an announcement, I believe. Hey guys, how are you tonight? We're doing great.
3: Good, hey Rob. Feeling saucy.
1: No, look, I know, I know. Uh, I've been relegated
4: to Wednesday nights betcast shows. Um, keep you guys for now, free of me for now. But um, I actually have some really exciting news for you guys, because as you know, um, my Twitter handle talks about all things advertising and just um, trying to help market the podcast and uh, kind of behind the scenes here along with Honky, um, we've been working on a deal with Herdat Media and the ink is now dry and we are officially a part of the Herdat family of podcasts. And this is really exciting news. I'd like to thank all of the uh, guys over there at At, Herdat, specifically Chris Gorman. Him and I have been working together now uh, probably for the last month just trying to hammer out all the details on this um i i want to thank him personally for hearing all my questions answering all my questions i know you guys had a lot of questions you throw them back to me i would take it to him but um this is all just really exciting stuff i'm sure that uh some people on our social media have seen the the big lit up sign outside in and lincoln that said the go big redcast on there that's real they really put that up there while we were talking to them they they took the time to, you know, kind of throw that hint out to everybody else. But the best part about it was, you know, there's there's just so many people involved over at herdat It's it's just great. Um, you guys have put in a lot of work. I want to congratulate you guys on that. I know you just did your 150th show um, and every show is intelligent. It's well spoken. It's well thought out. Um, you guys know your stuff and you've earned this. And so I just wanted to congratulate you guys because I'm honestly just riding your coattails at this point and it's a huge accomplishment. And if I was drinking tonight, I would raise my glass to a big cheers for you guys and, and just say congratulations because this is huge. And
1: um, I'm looking forward to what the future brings for the, for the Redcast. All right. Thanks Rob. That's, that's great. Uh, you know, hockey, would you like to, to add anything? I, I know that, you know, HerDat has a, a really great family of podcasts that we're joining here.
5: Yeah, well, I am raising my, my glass here. Mac and I are having a little drink here. Cheers, so. Rob. There we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, my goodness, you know, the amount of podcasts that they have there at HerDat Media right now, and they're really building a, a great... Uh, portfolio of them. Um, obviously, you also have all the Hail Varsity podcasts right. and we've been on, you know, the Varsity Club podcast a number of times now with Derek Pearson, Dr. Petey. So it's just, it's really cool. It's awesome to be part of it. It does feel like a family. Mm-hmm. And when they said they welcomed us to the family, it truly felt like that. So, uh, you know, we don't talk about ourselves like this a whole lot, but this is one of those moments where it is kind of a, a second to take a, a step back, breathe and go, Oh my gosh, you know, these 150 plus shows now. Have actually led to something like this. Really cool.
2: Well, and I'm happy for her that, too, because, (laughs) you know, they worked worked really tirelessly with us to, you know, make sure they added as good of a top-notch fan podcast as they could to their network. I mean, that showed dedication to them, to their their advertisers and sponsors, that we want you to get the best fan podcast out there. You know, we step in. You know, we're happy to help. That's what we're here for. And we
5: are high-maintenance, Dave. I I mean, that is one thing. I want... I want green M Ms. Okay? Savage
2: bougie. Okay, that's that's kind of how we live our life. That's Redcast motto. That's by the way. That's going to be one of the shirts we offer on our new merch line. You know, so <laughs> Savage bougie Redcast. That's what it's going to say.
4: Well, my favorite my favorite part about all of this is that I think I don't even remember. It was like on the end of September, and I I get weird messages sometimes in my DMs just from. Some of the snarky comments I'll, I'll make on Twitter, or just you know, a listener like will DM me and be like, "Hey, how do I get this question to to the guys on the show to, to, so that they'll answer?" Can you tell them that I'm trying to get this question answered? And I get it, and it's from this Pat Safford, and I and I start texting you guys. I'm like, "Have you guys ever heard of this guy?" Because he is like, well, he's with Herta and Hale Varsity, and it was like. I didn't get a response for like 10 minutes from you guys. And that's not normal for our, for our texts. There's usually a response at some point. And all of a sudden it was just kind of like, Rob, you're an idiot. Like, what do you mean? Have we heard of hail varsity? And, and, and it just started to click to me and I'm going, is this real? Um, So I, I messaged him back and we started going back and forth and I just can't tell you how hospitable these people are, how nice they've been uh, through the whole process. And they approached us, which was really cool. Because it just again speaks volumes to the quality of work you guys are doing.
2: Yeah, it was nice to have someone approach us uh, outside of the Ukraine. You know, for, <laughs> for, for, for change, we're big in Russia. Know?
1: Well, it is the go big RedCast. It, it's just actually they're confused with the search, you know, and they.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that's true, Dave. Dang it! Why didn't we think of that? Yeah.
1: I mean, honestly, we're huge in Manchester as well because they called Man, Man United there uh, the, the Big Red. So, as we mentioned, Herdat has a great lineup of podcasts, including the Hell Varsity podcast, Hell Varsity Radio, uh, the Nick Bosch Show, Nick and Schick, um, Greg Smith, the Hell Varsity just has a new one with Jay Foreman. I mean, so it's great to be a part of that group, and we're really looking forward to, to being a part of their network here for uh, many years.
0: And now, Scoring Explosion, the offensive breakdown I think we counted 10 first-year players that played significant amount for us last year And it seems like we've been young three years in a row because of the turnover at some positions And the recruiting we've done to get some new athletes in here But it just takes those guys a while to know all the assignments and details they need to For us to be a little more efficient, and we're working at that every day
1: All right, guys, let's do our offensive breakdown for this victory. And, uh, you know, I'll throw it to Honky, you know. I mean, what were your impressions here on the offensive side of the ball with Luke at the helm? You know, I think a lot about the yards per point, Dave, that
5: you've been talking about so much here for the last you know two years. And this is a game where that really came out in, in our benefit because we don't have a lot of offensive yardage to come from this game. 298 total yards. And we only had 59 plays. I mean, that's a week after playing Northwestern, and we had, what, 85, 88? What was 87
1: it? 87 or 88, I believe.
5: Just So, I mean, we had 30 less plays than a week ago, and yet we come out with the win. And it's because of yards per point. It's because of defensive turnovers and scores off of that and all those things, right? Let's get back to the offense. Luke, it was his first game. And there are moments, and we I talked about this during our rapid reaction, there's moments where I really want to critique something, and then i I just want to stop myself and go, it's his first game. It was his first start, and we did enough to win. We got some young guys out there like Scott in the backfield and like Betts. Again, Betts has shown up now for two straight games, and I'm telling you, we're getting to a point, Mac. You and I Mm -hmm. watched it together,
2: and we're getting to a point where it's like, Betts is a guy that I don't really want to see off the field. He's been targeted, what, seven times, and he's – He's caught all seven times. That's pretty good. And some of those have been first down conversions, and some of those have been touchdowns. He looked like he was jogging on that touchdown. He's a smooth athlete. He is clearly different than any other wide receiver we have, and it's instantaneous as soon as he catches the ball. When it comes back to Luke, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated with how this guy might progress from Game 1 to Game 2. The stories about him is... What a what a gym rat he is! Really, we're like a film study rat. He is like he is all about getting better and taking critiques and getting
0: better. Luke's the type of kid that lives in the office, uh, always watching film, always trying to get better. Uh, so he he takes uh, coaching as constructive criticism, and he wants it. He wants to continue to improve, and and that's the type of people that you want to coach. This is his first time of like you said on the show,
2: sixty minutes worth of tape to see what he can get better at. So what if he does get better? The timing gets a little quicker. The zone reads gets a little better. We don't have to burn down Wandell. That's one thing about this game that was a little concerning. And I don't want to get too far off the plot here. But with Luke's first game, as ugly as times were, as anemic as the offense was at some points, we want the game. You know, like I've seen this perform Way better offensively. <laughs> you know, I've seen us have way better stats. stats yep, yep. You know, like, we're just killing guys on the box score at the end of the game. Yep. But we lost. And, you know, like, we lost the penalty game if you're talking about number of penalties. But, you know, we talked on the rapid reaction. One of those was we were clear, clearly trying to draw them off on fourth down. And then we took a penalty and kicked a field goal. So then it's four to four. That's the same. Yeah. But we had, like, 39 yards. And if you take that one away, then 34 yards of penalty – for the you know the third game and that was a humongous chunk down. Yeah. We won the turnover margin not in a just a, by one but by one in the scoop score. You know like yeah. and that takes away from your time of possession. That takes away from how many offensive snaps you get. That that adds to the defensive reps. So it's like there's a lot to unpack in this game and it's, it was certainly ugly in a lot of spots. But what happened at the end of it? Who had more we, points? We won and and
5: Dave, we were finally the smarter team.
1: So, yeah, you know, we were the smarter team at the end of the day because the smarter team wins, right? Offensively, you know, we did struggle a little bit, though, to Max Point at times, especially in the second half. If there was one thing that you could point to that kind of kept this offense from clicking, what was the one thing that was uh, that you saw when you looked at the game tape?
5: Number one, and we definitely hit on this right after the game, in the trenches, and this will be on both sides of the ball, but certainly on the offensive side, I think this is the biggest challenge that our O-line has had up to this point. And it's probably the right challenge that they needed, too. That was the thing, though, right? You felt like
2: we should be up to the challenge
5: at this point. Or I'll give Penn State all the credit in the world, too. Husker Nutt asked us, is Penn State the greatest 0-4 team of all time you know, from the mailbag? Well... You know, I don't know if the 2018 Huskers, maybe. (laughs) but I will say that this Penn State team has a lot of good players. They have a lot of good talent. I mean, they were physical with us and that's the most physical game in the trenches I've seen that we've had to play so far. And we struggled at times and that will be good for us down the road. We needed to see a game like this. You know, we're three games in now and are there guys that have impressed you the most and maybe disappointed a little bit through three games and and I, I mean, I'll start with me and I'll go to you, Dave, here. But for me on offense, Betts is a guy that has absolutely impressed. You know, We've only seen him in two of the three games. But man, when he gets out there, to your point there earlier, Mac, he is impressed. And the guy for me, that's it's disappointing, not because he's playing poorly, but maybe it's injuries a little bit the last game. But Mills, I'm just not seeing what I thought preseason I'd see out of Mills. And I don't know, Dave, are there guys that are, you know, overperforming and underperforming that you've seen so far through three games on the offense?
1: Well, the best is the clear answer, I think. They're just from, uh, adding some explosive big play opportunities. I mean, we just haven't seen that in a while, uh, with the play that he did with the jet sweep. So that, that's an obvious one. You know, I'll just say in general to your point, the offensive line, uh, struggled in this game. And I was really surprised by that. And I do think Penn State's D line might be really, really good. Yep. I was rewatching the film and we were just getting pushed around a lot. And there's a couple times that the young guys like Piper and Ben Hart really showed that they are young guys still. And they've got a long ways to go before we're really going to be able to count on them. And you know, That's why it was so important to play this season from a developmental standpoint. Because we get to see Piper and Ben Hart and, and those young guys and Juergens uh, with his snap issues coming back again develop. And they're going to be better next year because of it.
0: Yeah, I feel comfortable with several guards. And even a couple that haven't played have done a really good job in practice. Bo's done a really good job for us. Piper's done a really good job for us. Matt was back at guard with Cam back at center. I think Trent Hickson is capable of playing any time. Bando's capable of playing any time. So we're starting to get some depth there.
2: I guess for me, if I was going to go offensive side of the thing, it might be Marvin Scott. He's got a lot of snaps, more than I would have guessed he would have gotten at this point. I saw him make you know that bet play you know, Marvin has a humongous block on that. You know, when Luke's left-handed pass, who catches that? Marvin Scott catches that and he makes a first down.
0: I called him after the game on Saturday night uh, because he he made two or three good runs, but he made the key block on Xavier's long touchdown um, and another third down where Luke threw the ball left-handed and he made somebody miss and and got a first down for us. And uh, those two games potentially could have won the game for us. So I uh, told him how happy I was for him. In terms of a
2: position that we need somebody to step up at, now more than ever with the uh, uncertainty at Mil- with Mills in the backfield, that's been a, a nice bright spot. I-, I didn't necessarily think he couldn't do it, but you know, with the with the depth that we thought we were going to have, Ronald Tompkins now. Ramir Johnson, Seveon, Marvin Scott has kind of separated himself from the rest of that pack, and I'm kind of excited about him. He's shown he's shown the ability to catch out of the backfield. He's shown power. I think he has some explosive uh, tendency. He's he's twitchy, as, as you might say. He's a fast twitch, you know, but he, <laughs> he, he can get up field quickly. So, you know, when this offense cooks, when this offense is moving, there's a guy who could really benefit for some rhythm and some flow. Hey, Mac, any idea on the disappearance of Ramir Johnson? It's so crazy, Dave, because I feel like I've heard Frost specifically mention Ramir Johnson in in some of his post-game press conferences, and yet we're not seeing him on the field.
0: Yeah, I'm happy with that room. I've seen uh, significant improvement in that room. Uh, Ramir's doing good things. Ronald's doing good things. Uh, Marvin's there. Uh, Savion's been nicked up a little bit, but coming back and we'll always use Wondell as a change up and make sure he's getting the ball in his hands enough. Wondell was so close to popping a, a couple of runs for big plays for us. Uh, and he's just dynamic. So if we need to hand it to him, we'll hand it to him. But you know, Milsey's done a good job and those young guys behind him just continue to improve. Now, I don't know if that's him trying to appease Ramir
2: or him foreshadowing him getting more of a role, but it's, it's time. You would have thought this last game would have been a perfect opportunity. If, if Mills goes down, certainly we're going to see Ramirez Johnson, certainly before yeah. a freshman. You know, that's the other thing people don't mention about McCaffrey's first start. You take his top running back out of the lineup and simultaneously take his top wide receiver and put him next to him in the backfield. That changes everything in terms of passing downfield. Yeah. So, And I love Wondell, and I'm happy we're getting the ball going, but I don't want to go forward in this season and have him be... Our primary rush option after our quarterback. Yeah,
5: I, you know, a year ago when we played Illinois, the team we're going to play this week, uh, he had a primary role in the backfield a year ago there in Champaign. Blew up that game, and, and it was this, a, that point, was kind
2: of his coming out party, really.
5: Yeah, because we needed him. Right now, there is that confusing point to me. Like, unless guys are injured, I look at Ramir Johnson as being. A speed guy, a slasher back, all the things that you would expect out of Wondell in the backfield. Except he's a little bit bigger, and he is a yeah. you know he's a true running back. I want to see him involved. I'd rather him be getting those carries than Wondell. It's not that Wondell can never carry the ball. I've said that all offseason. I mean, Wondell can be a contributing factor to the backfield. But man, this last game, he was the backfield for you know good chunks of series there, and that confuses me. I don't,
2: I don't love that. And they've never backed off the fact that they think they've improved in the running back room. That's a room we can count on to contribute more as the season goes on. I would never downplay a Big Ten opponent ever once, but I feel like Illinois is an opportunity. That we could get some of these young guys more reps. I feel like this is an opportunity game to really start hammering out a, a ground game.
1: Boomer, you have anyone you want to add to this?
3: Well, a lot of those, you know, were, were guys i thought about talking about first. You know, um, you know, with Mills again. I don't know if it's any fault of his own. It could be injuries. Or it just could be scheme at the time. I just thought we'd see a lot more of him to start the season. Um, you know, don't want to cast any shade at Rob here, but. I, you know, with all the hype Omar Manning had, I thought he would have had some impact at the season so far, but he's been completely MIA, you know, three games in.
0: Uh, we just can't seem to get Omar healthy, so uh, we got our fingers crossed, but he just hasn't been healthy.
3: After uh, we let him press me, I guess, you know, I've enjoyed uh, the tight end play from a guy like Austin Allen. He's there. He's averaging like 14 yards a catch. And that's what you want out of a tight end. He's the a, a go-to player. You need to get that first down. You need to get that middle of the field opened up. He's been reliable, a couple catches a game, and that's one of those things we've heard from Frost that so we're going to get to see more of that from his offense, and we're kind of starting to see hints of that.
1: A couple other names that I'd like to see have uh, some better games going forward would include uh, Travis Vokalek, who I think we thought a lot of coming into this year might be a big game-changer. Um, obviously Jack Stoll's injury goes out. You think Vokalik might really step in, but it's really been Austin Allen that, that took that over. And then, you know, I mean, I love Cade Warner, great captain. He's got to catch, uh, footballs, whatever they look like thrown to him, especially in the end zone. He knows that. We all know that. I think he'll have another opportunity to catch one of those TDs. He, he just gotta, gotta hold on to it. Boomer, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, yards per point stat that we've talked about so much here. Against Northwestern, it was a stat that indicated that we were really inefficient. We had um, 500 yards of offense and only 13 points or whatever it was, um, 400 yards of offense. Uh, it, we
3: flipped the script here a little bit in
1: this game, and, and that's how we came out with the
3: W. Yeah, this week was a prime example of how uh, important those turnovers are and winning that field position battle or just getting yourself in in a place to make it easier on your offense to score points. Um I think we averaged uh, about nine point nine, you know, yards per point. Which, if you would extrapolate that over an entire season, if you could do something like that, that's putting you in the top ten. You know, that's akin to what Wisconsin's doing, and they're turning out points like mad in, in their two games and making it real, making it look real easy. So when you can set up those kind of short fields for yourself, uh, I mean, when you think about it, what our defense scored seven points in their own—they you know got us a turnover, which led to a field goal, and they got the ball back at the end of that second half, or excuse me, at the end of the first half. You know, forced a punt, got us the ball back, gave us another field goal to end that half. That's just free points essentially, and that's what you want your defense to do. That's just a great way to overcome those huge drives from Penn State. um, You know, when they're driving eighty yards and they're only managing three points or chewing up a bunch of clock if we're able to score quick. They can't do it and that just puts games out of reach and that's kind of the thing you want to see. Yeah, Penn State was the opposite, right? Boomer, they had Yeah, Penn State was pretty lousy in that game. They were about, I think, seventeen some, you know, yards per point by my by my measure, you know, around that. And that's just terrible. Penn State's currently 126th in the country in red zone percentage. And the only reason they're 126 is there's four teams that haven't played a game yet. So they're really bad <laughs> at red zone. They're like, I think they're like 57% in the red zone this year. That's bad. Well, Boomer, you mentioned red
5: zone. And we had a couple of uh, questions that came into the mailbag here that were red zone related. One of them from Zach Sempek, who said, what does you need to do to produce better in the red zone? Uh, our favorite uh, mailbagger. Uh, Richard Fitzwell, he said the basic premise of frost offense is sideline to sideline, spread the defense out, make them uh, defend 55 yards wide as well as 100 yards long. Well, why does it seem like when they're in the red zone, everything is inside? And he referenced the Wandell's three inside runs. Uh, Dave, you know, it seems like we're able to use all the field, you know, in those 60 yards between the 20s, but we get into those red zones and sometimes it seems like we compact things a bit. You know, Is there something that we need to do? How do we open things up more, I guess, so to speak, inside that red zone? What do you think?
1: It's a really good question. I think it's one the coaching staff is having to ask themselves right now, is how can we uh, get better at this and get better at it quickly? You know, Part of it, I think, was, and Frost alluded to this in the postgame presser, is they are very conservative in their play calling. Uh, they didn't want to make a mistake and turn the ball over and give points away. And, uh, you know, we were effective in, it was interesting, like, we would have a couple of runs that were effective in between the tackles, but we'd go back to the well, we wouldn't do anything else. And it got a little bit too predictable. And it is frustrating that it feels like with Luke's mobility, that we don't roll him out, um, try to find a tight end release that type of thing um for at least one of the uh, three or four plays that you get inside the 10-yard line and I mean maybe that's going to evolve here and evolve quickly because we do need to figure out how to score in the red zone um because we're not going to be able to win games like this every time.
5: Yeah, you bring up a uh, Luke there and Dave, we had a lot of questions from the mailbag so I'm trying to throw them in where I can.
1: I like it. I like we it. We had one from Gilf
5: who uh, sent us one a couple weeks ago and Speaking of the quarterbacks, he said, are we expecting too much from a dual-threat QB that really doesn't have an arm? I am a huge 2AM and Luke fan, but realistically, 60% for a 6'3 or under non-throwing quarterback behind a a 6'6 line is expected, is what he was saying. So, I guess his thinking is that, you know, look, we're not recruiting Peyton Manning, so don't expect a guy that's going to you know pick apart a defense. But he's like, are we expecting too much passing-wise out of our QBs right now?
1: Well, you can always point to someone like Russell Wilson, who's five foot eleven. Yep. And he can throw in the pocket just fine.
2: How tall is Kyler Murray? Kyler yeah. Murray's
1: another great one, Mac. And,
2: or Baker Mayfield.
1: I mean, and some of that is, you know, I've seen things about Russell Wilson and his release point is really high, right? So quarterbacks that aren't six foot four and, you know, pocket passers, they need to be able to, to learn how to throw a ball that has a high release point and can avoid some of those issues. Um, and that should be teachable. So I'd like to think that, you know, Frost and, and Mario are, are working on that. I think that Luke has a, a long way to go as, as a quarterback here. Hopefully he has a great, great career. Um, it would seem to be uh, simpler if we were rolling him out and getting, him a little bit easier reads and better throwing lanes. But I mean, I I think we have to find an offense that works for whatever quarterback we have back there. And so I think this is why these six or seven games with Luke at quarterback, I'm presuming that he's going to start here Mm -hmm. for the rest of the season. is so critical because I think that has, has Scott get more familiarity with McCaffrey's strengths and, and Luke gets to to do different things. We're going to see the playbook evolve. I think a lot of this comes from the passing game, these questions. And,
5: again, we, I'm pulling from the mailbag here. We had one from Kel, the coach, and he said, through three games our leading receiver is Austin Allen, who Boomer said was his player the, on offense that's impressed him so far. And uh, But Austin Allen hasn't broken 100 yards yet, even though he's our leading receiver. Goes. What do you attribute the lack of the wide receiver production to? Is it youth? Is it spotty QB play? Is it play calling? Are these guys truly not ready? And he says that in quotes. Or is it all of the above? Um, he's at a loss trying to figure it all out. One week a receiver may look great, Fleming, and then the next he disappears. Mac, I'll start with you on this one
2: here. You know what do you attribute that to right now? I totally get the frustration. And the uh, the apparent lack of production at the wide receiver position that that most Husker fans feel and see, and it makes sense. But I also haven't seen the plays where a quarterback pushes the ball downfield and makes a wide receiver try to make a play, and then we're not coming up with it. I don't know that a wide receivers aren't completely open. I don't know that they're not making play that they're not capable of making plays downfield, because it seems like every time we push the ball downfield, it's been a tight end, and so. I feel like I've seen our wide receivers blocking better. You know, I see just a little bit. I see from Xavier Betts, he's got some big play potential, and I would say the same thing with Fleming. Uh, Alante Brown's been on the field a lot, but he hasn't really made an impact on the offense. But there's another guy who's who's getting a lot of reps, who's been on the field a lot. It's just a matter of time before we get the ball to him. So it's a matter of it's a matter of function with inside the offense. It's a matter of a quarterback seeing him and forcing the issue a little bit. And once that happens, if the plays still aren't being made, if you're seeing a, a discrepancy in targets and production, then that conversation is absolutely warranted. And I'm this isn't a call cade warner out show, but he's dropped two touchdown passes this year so far. And that's the wide receivers that to me has and it's been a the captain. most he's a well that's to me has been the most disappointing of the wide receiver play. Because when I have seen Xavier Betts be targeted, he makes good plays. And when I have seen Marcus Sliman be yeah. targeted, he makes plays. To me, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of tempo. It's a matter of decision-making. And if that's the kind of thing that you're hoping to see as McCaffrey progresses that we start incorporating these guys. Or at least we'll have the answer as to why the wide receivers aren't producing. It's just too early for me. You know, Hockey,
1: maybe I'll, I'll throw this back to you in a, a little different way because I, I, I agree. The frustration is there. Like, why can't we get some of these wide receivers out there and play every down, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe... It's part of like how, it's not just the playbook, but the the flexibility or the adaptive nature of Scott Frost and, and how they call a play. It feels like, you know, with the whole check to the sideline type thing, trying to figure out what the defense is giving you, you have to have your personnel out there be able to run any play that he wants to get into at any given moment. And he's mentioned that a lot of these young wide receivers have missed time in practice. Yep. They haven't had all the reps and you're out there and you may have bets out there and he knows, you know, a basic amount of the playbook. But if Frost doesn't feel like he can get to any play he wants to get to, that's a detriment. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes the timing to max point, we, I remember there was a play this week where I think it was Alonte Brown was, was in motion and he comes through it at just the wrong time, and it messes up the snap. I think I think Luke was supposed to fake to him and yeah. hand it to Marvin Scott or something like that. And it was just a totally busted play because the timing wasn't right. And he doesn't have enough reps in
0: practice. Yep. Yeah, I just had that conversation with Coach Lubick. You know, playing, playing some of these young guys, you know, there's just a couple blocks that we didn't block the right guy, or plays would have popped. Uh, a couple places where we weren't quite in the right place in the past game, missed a protection on a. Key third down right at the end of the game uh, with a young running back. So, man, those things, uh, luckily those things didn't cost us a game, but uh, you can't fix all those things in one day. So all you can do as a coach is continue to teach and teach and teach and try to get those guys a little bit better every week. And so until those
1: guys have so many reps in practice that they know everything that Scott may actually throw at them, he can't always have them out there. Or if he does have him out there, he's limited his own playbook, and that's where the, the the frustration I think is coming from.
5: Yeah, I just I don't think we're there yet as an offense, just overall, and that that comes with the reps for all the players, the amount of youth. I mean, there are times that we have freshmen handing off to freshmen and throwing to freshmen. I mean, that's all part of it right now. You know, I'm sitting next to Rainman here of calling our offense. There are times you know Mac and I were watching that game, and Mac, there's three or four plays he just flat out he called it based off of. The formation and the personnel that were on the field. He's like, well, we're going to throw a, a screen pass to Wondell because on the top are two freshman guys, and on the bottom we have Warner and we have Austin. It's not really I mean,
2: Rayman, though. That's more but, like, well, look at those two freshmen. Hey, but, look at those two guys who aren't.
5: But it was the th- it was and the look point. Look at Wondell. <laughs> it was the point that you were just seeking out personnel and formation patterns, and just literally calling a play off of it. And. Look, we are podcasters, but, you know, we're still lay followers and
1: fans of the... I'm just a caveman.
5: Yeah, you're just a caveman. (laughs) We're not, like, defensive coordinators, and yet, you know, we're still seeing certain trends too, right?
1: So the defense sees that as well, to your point, Honk, right?
5: What's interesting here is, I think somebody listening to this right now, and we ran into the exact same thing, Dave, during our rapid reaction... If someone listens to this right now, it sounds like a loss. (laughs) And it's not. We won the game, right? And I think this is a good time for me to throw in Salvasa's question to us, which, you know, he prefaced it with, he goes, I'm happy for the win. You know, that's the first part of this, right? We're not unhappy. But he goes, but our offense... I'm not unhappy, Sal Vasses. No, we Salvasta, We won. And- but he goes, but our offense still needs help. He goes, specifically a vertical passing game and consistent run game. So he goes, do you think the team and the coaches will find the answers in the next four games, or is this an off-season development slash talent issue? Boomer, I'm going to ask that to you. Can we find this answer in the next four games, or is this an off-season development talent
3: issue? I think... The way the season plans out, the next four games are a good opportunity to to have that development. We're playing Illinois, who's not a great team. No one's going to pretend they are. Iowa is probably the most challenging team we have left in the schedule. Uh, Purdue is a good team, too. And then Minnesota's defense is just... Craptacular this Horrible. Year. So, yeah, if you, if you want to just have a marshmallow to play against to just try stuff, Minnesota's your team this year. So the season set up fine for the second half. Um, you know, we talked in our preseason show, first half of the season for the second half, they're very different schedules. So I think there's a lot of opportunity to kind of see what our offense can become in the second half of it. And... You know, we, we were talking about statistics earlier. I was kind of looking at some of Scott Frost's past teams that, you know, we've talked about and how it measures out. And, you know, our current stat is, uh, you know, yards per point. And I looked at uh, UCF back in their 2017 season, and they were not particularly spectacular in yards per point that year. They were actually much better than Nebraska was in 2017, of all things. We weren't particularly great in yards per point that season. Uh, UCF was just a couple of places ahead of us, but where they were great – is points per play they averaged like 0.63 points every play they were number one that season they so they were getting those huge plays
1: explosive plays yeah. in that
3: year yeah they were very explosive so you have to be one or the other to be successful in college football right now we're not really doing either particularly well that's where i kind of want to see these next four games go is what are we going to do well are we going to be able to score in that red zone get those turnovers generate it and get short fields, make those plays, or are we going to start developing those explosive plays, stretch the field? What are we going to be in, You know that Scott Frost offense we saw at UCF that we all kind of were hoping we were getting? And I think the teams that we play give us a great chance to,
0: to figure that out. It's time to throw the bones. I think it's just the process of rebuilding the program and getting some more talent, some more speed, the guys learning scheme, being able to play a little faster, uh, being more sound, making fewer mistakes. Uh, wh- I'm really impressed with the way we're running a hitting right now, and that speaks to who the guys have recruited and and how they're being coached.
1: All right, that was Scott Frost there talking about uh, the defense uh, running to the ball and, and hitting. Uh, in you know, this was a a really good performance, I would say, by this Nebraska blackshirt defense. You know, honky. I think this is the defense that Coach Chins has wanted to see here, right? We did give up some yardage, but there's lots of turnovers, aggressive play, better tackling. What were your thoughts on this uh blackshirt defense?
5: What's so funny is that there's been so much emphasis about the offense over the last three years, and, and clearly the defense is the is the thing that's going to lose the games for us. I mean, that's mm. that's as
2: clear as day, right? Well, in modern football, defense is not really a factor.
5: Right? Well, and especially in Big Ten ball, oh, right? You ridiculous. have to have a uh, have a defense, right? Well, <laughs> well, guess what? This defense came up to, sh- to play this week, and we don't win this game this week if it's not for the defense. Um, Fact we, attack. We've had a couple examples of that over the last couple years too. If you go back to the the nine six famous. You know, Michigan State game and everything two years ago. Fact we, attack. We Science. have examples of that. Dave Devin in our mailbag. He asks us a question. He goes, "I guess I wasn't paying attention, but did they ever officially hand out black shirts this year? Uh, I don't remember seeing that. As far as I know, I don't. I haven't heard anything about it. But I guess let's just make the assumption for a second. If you had to hand out black shirts, you're the defensive coordinator. We're going to assign the red cast as defensive coordinators right now. And I'm going to give each of you two guys that you can give a black shirt to. I'm going to start with Boomer. Who are the first two guys you give a black shirt to?
3: That's a good question. Yeah, I don't think black shirts have officially been handed out yet, and I pity whatever. You know, journalist asked that question of Frost at the next presser. But um, uh, there's a couple guys that I would probably give that to. Uh, one, you know, the first guy didn't have the greatest game this last week, but from what we've seen of him before, Reimers had just a, a fun season. He's he's what you always want for those Nebraska guys that come on and 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 play the game. And another gentleman that would get one, uh, JoJo Doman. I think the
0: linebacker play's been pretty solid from him. Yeah, JoJo's, first of all, been a good teammate. Uh, Second, uh, you know, really athletic guy and very versatile. So we can ask him to do a lot of things. Uh, We can ask him to play the edge and and rush. He used to be a DB, so he can drop into coverage. He can play zones for us. Uh, That's why he's out there so much, because he can do so many different things. But, uh, you know, JoJo's probably bugaboo before was just making sure his eyes were good, and he was disciplined in the right place all the time. And uh, that's been a lot better this year, and uh, I think he's reaping the rewards of that. I think those are two great options right there. Uh, Dave, how about you? A lot of good names out there to consider
1: here. I'll I'll go with an obvious one, Ben Stilley. Uh, he had the, the last play of the game there against Penn State. Ben's actually having a heck of a year, to be honest with you. I mean, he's doing a lot of great stuff on that D-line, having a bigger impact than maybe we even expected. And then um, in the secondary, uh, based off of the last game, uh, Cam Taylor Britt had a great game. I mean, the guy was everywhere. Uh, he had the pass breakups. Uh, he's also contributing on special teams. You know, I, I think he's highly valuable and would clearly be a black shirt.
2: Uh,
5: how about you, Mac?
2: I agree with both of you guys. I think there's a lot of guys to choose from, which is fantastic just by saying that. Working from the back to the front, I would definitely go Deontay Williams. And that guy just continues to prove what a playmaker he is. I know he's caught in some flack for how he's tackled in the past, the launching, the targeting, all that stuff. But that guy makes an impact every time he's on the field. Even the games he gets kicked out of, he causes fumbles. And the games he gets to play the whole time, he gets a strip sack. So it's like this guy, he's a legitimate prospect for the NFL playing in our in our secondary right now. You know, and on top of that, he's showing development and some maturity by the way he's playing. The coverage he he displayed last week, you know, getting in there and sticking a hand in there instead of destroying somebody, which, you know, my heart wants him to destroy. You know, my heart wants him to tear Mm. heads off. But, you know, logically, it's best to do what he did. And he did a fantastic job. He's evolving into that role. You know, he hasn't played that much football for us at the end of the day. He hasn't played hardly any for us, so... He continues to show what kind of player he is, and then just moved a little further up front, a guy that everybody seems to love to forget. But Colin Miller, and Colin Miller has played a ton of snaps for us. He's been very consistent. He's been yep. stout, you know, and stout is about as good as calling a woman sturdy in terms of a compliment. <laughs> but but he has been a very stout linebacker, and he has been he's been reliable. You know, and I appreciate that about him. And I, he, a consistent play at the inside linebacker, actually really the whole front seven this year, has been a real hallmark of this team. And that's fantastic to watch.
5: You know, I called uh, Mrs. Honky uh, sturdy once and she punched me straight in the face, Mac. Yes. So, you know, that's she not... She should
2: have. Yeah, that's not an appropriate term. I think but... it's funny that you thought it's because she called, you called her sturdy. <laughs> but that's fine, too.
5: Um, You know, if I had to pick two guys I would put on the black shirt list right now. Will Honness. Ooh. Which is one of the guys, and by the way, is it Honus or Honus? I've been told both. I've been told I've been saying it wrong. It's a, it's a
2: hard in. Well,
5: a Honus then.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, then Honus, I guess. I'll just say that <laughs> That's terrible spelling. Okay, there's so, a comma. I'm sure. Yeah, I am
5: awful with it, but but Honus, he was my preseason All Big Ten surprise pick, and he came out in the first game and he had two sacks against Ohio State, and 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 overall he just showed a lot of speed. Then he didn't play against Northwestern, and then you know this last game. I mean, he I thought he was very productive. Against Penn State, and I, I'm really. I remember you with,
2: being really happy that he started.
5: It wasn't that he wasn't starting or not. It was more that I wanted to see Reimer out there. No, right I know away. what you're saying. It was not.
2: In fact, it wasn't but directed at, at. It goes anywhere, to how right? good he's been playing, though, because yeah, as good well, as Honus flat or as good as uh, Reimer flashed, Honus. Yeah, I still here's the thing. I
5: just. I don't know what to do with the inside linebacker spot right now. Because it's not that I want to take Honus off the field. I don't want to take Miller off the field. And Miller's been outstanding. And I mean, Mac, you mentioned him as your blackshirt, right? And, And definitely Reimer. I mean, that's the guy that Boomer mentioned. We almost, it's an abundance of having good inside guys there. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. My other guy, I guess I'm going to add to it, is Robinson. Holy smokes for being the first year player He's not even, He has no clue how good this kid's going to be. And I say this very affectionately. I've seen more missed tackles out of him because he has blown through somebody and then gotten in the backfield. He's like, oh, my God, I'm there. And he misses the tackle on the guy. that You know what? He will figure it out. Mm-hmm. He will get that stuff straightened out. The point is that dude is so strong. I think of the uh, Northwestern pass. It was a touchdown pass at the goal line a week ago. He just broke through the line. They completed a touchdown. I mean, give Northwestern credit, but he just ran over their running back. Their running back, this poor running back. Yeah, and he didn't even see him. He didn't even like stop. He's like tripping through the line. He, and he didn't even recognize he ran over like a 220 pound back. He just ran him over. This guy is a monster that is absolutely built for this conference. A baby monster. Um, Devin, again, back to your question. As far as we know, we're not positive they've handed out black shirts. Nothing's ever been said. But those at least are the red cast black shirts. And so, you know, I mean, I think uh, that's a good crew right there.
2: Would any of you guys have a problem if they handed out the black shirts after this last game? Do you guys do you guys have that standard of well, we have to hold a team to a certain amount or this and that? Or do you guys get exhausted with the pomp and circumstance of, of the black shirt handing out anymore? Yeah, it seems like since Bo Pelini's gotten here, it's it's got to be a thing. Just get
1: them out. They were there. handed out before the season started yeah. under Osborne and McBride. Yes, um, so I don't know why they wouldn't hand them out beforehand. Maybe they didn't. They just didn't tell everybody. Maybe the maybe it was a different approach this year. I don't know. I think they would have deserved it after this game if that was that's the criteria though Mac though I mean I, they they won the game largely for us in that fourth quarter so.
5: absolutely well I have a trivia question for you guys as we're talking about defense here and you know, I've got a couple things I want to bring up that have all been on social media but one of them some you know one of our favorite followers here, Chaz in SoCal and he had an interesting stat he goes tackles for loss average a game he goes what Big Ten team has the most tackles for loss average a game? And I'll even give you a hint. It's eight tackles a game for a loss. Matt can't answer because he's looking right now at the at the screen. He sees it. My so heart this,
2: says the Huskers, though.
5: <laughs> Max' heart says the Huskers. It's not. But Boomer and Dave, who has the most
2: tackles for loss per game? Besides the Huskers in my heart.
3: Besides... <laughs> he um...
1: I'll go by the obscure here. Obviously, it doesn't sound like it's Nebraska, even though I'd like to think it is. And since you're asking the question, I presume it's not someone you would expect. Correct. Uh, I'll go Illinois. <laughs> no, no, it is
5: not our future opponent, but it is the team that Illinois just beat last week, Dave. Rutgers.
2: Right Really? Rutgers, yeah. that is correct. Yeah. Welcome to another stupid stat of 2020. It's a like
1: Greg Schiano defense, apparently. They are 19th in the country
5: uh, with eight tackles for loss. Well, good thing we don't have them on the schedule. Yeah, yeah thank God, yeah. Uh, But you have Indiana after them with six and a half tackles a the loss. They're like 49th in the country. Illinois, who we play this week, they have six and a quarter tackles a game in the backfield. They're 60th in the country. We are tied right now for 64th in the country with Iowa and Northwestern, and we have six tackles for
2: a loss. So it just kind of bizarre. Easily could be two more. I mean, at least two more. You know, if Ty Robinson, okay, my say, guy, I love Ty. If well, he, let's he, say let he made say, a couple
5: of tackles in the backfield that he's missed. Let's say Justin it.
2: Fields' knee was down. Loss. Which it was. Yes. It's a loss. So let's say we make a sack when Garrett Nelson breaks through the backfield. Well now that one's true. That one's you know, true. Like that that happens too. But, I mean, we've we've missed some opportunities to blow some guys up. I understand this is college football. Yeah. Well, we won a game, guys. <laughs> well, let's talk
5: about something else here. And I've got to give some credit to one of our favorite friends out there on, on Twitter, and it's the Husk guys. They tweeted about, let's talk about the black shirts. And, Dave, you can stop me at any point here, because I'm just going to go through a bullet point of things that they wrote down. But every one of these is true, and I think it's totally legit. They face 91 plays. Check. They were on the field for 36 minutes. Exhausting. They, they forced two game-changing turnovers. Unbelievable. They forced a fumble for a TD. Game-changing. S- <laughs> they had six tackle for losses and two sacks. Impactful. They forced the benching of a quarterback. Holy cow, changes they, the season. They held the best wide receiver dots into the two catches. Irrelevant. And they had two massive fourth quarter red zone stops to win the game. Unprecedented. Dave, follow that up. <laughs>
1: oh that's classic guys what you guys a comic team here um yeah i mean those are all all true true i guess uh you know i mean what's not the best color man in the business for no reason (laughs) well if you give me a shot i'm just i guess what what i want to highlight is i mean i always try to consume as much as i can uh, I always remember Max said one of our very early shows is like, you know, we're going to consume a bunch of content that so you don't have to and just listen to us. Right. And so I was trying to take that to heart and I was listening to some of the radio shows and they're talking about the, you know, 500 yards of offense that we we gave up and, you know, that's, there's room for improvement and, you know, obvious statements like that. And it's, that's also true, right? We gave up a lot of yards. What I feel like we have to, Keep in mind here is that they were on the field for, what'd you say, honk? 36 minutes? Yeah, it was
5: like 36 to 24. It was. And, 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 so
1: once our offense gets going and can pull their own weight a little bit here in a second half of a game, if we would converted a few third downs, got, and got some first downs and held onto the ball longer in that second half, even if we didn't score, we could have taken off at least that last Penn State drive where they got that extra opportunity to tie the game again, right? I, I feel like a, a decent Scott Frost offense probably would have made this a stat line look different, where the D probably would have faced 70-some plays and only gave up 400 yards. But when you put them out there, uh, the defense is going to give up some, some yardage between the 20s, and then they buckle down and stop in the red zone. And that's how it's kind of supposed to work. And if the offense was functioning a little bit better in the second half, they would have had a, a few less plays to defend.
5: Dave, I think that's a great point right there. Now, despite all the plays that they had there and all the yards, Nebraska, Mac, Nebraska
2: still made them earn every one of those yards, right? I mean, this is the positive thing about the win, right? Yep. It was one time that the tight end got behind our corner that ended up being a 75 yard play. That was a big play for them. And, and there was another and there was another time where we had our true well our true a red shirt freshman outside linebacker didn't fit a run and they gashed us again so besides that yeah. they had to earn every single yard and that's that, that's me also accepting the fact that i felt like their offensive line held their own against our defensive line so, like, with even that being said, they had to work for every single yard down the field. Mm-hmm. They got a quarterback pulled. They got another one in there who got hit several times.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything that brings energy to a team like success on defense and getting big hits and getting stops. Um, that inflates offenses It inflates special teams, makes everybody want to play harder. And, and like I said before, I think that's the thing I'm most impressed with the def- with the defense right now is the effort they're giving I, you know, there's some big hits out there when you're on the sideline and listening to those collisions. If we keep doing that, you know, we'll get hit on some things. But defensively, you got a chance when you got that many guys uh, running at the ball and, and uh, delivering hits like that.
2: I, I got to tell you, here's another thing about the defense that was impressive from week one to week two to week three. There's another example. So we mentioned Miles Farmer the week that that Deontay Williams wasn't in, and there's a crossing route from the tight end from Northwestern number zero, and, yeah. and he came across the field, and Miles Farmer smoked him with a, with a forearm shiver, but yeah, it was a legal hit. It was yeah, a legal hit, and it was fine. And then you fast forward to this next week's game, and you see a very similar play by Deontay Williams. Had a chance to light somebody up, just did a nice job of kind of shouldering into him and knocking him down. True. you know He did a great job in coverage, just being behind somebody and slapping a ball down. So like you're seeing an evolution of intelligence, an intelligent play by the defense. Like, I'm trying to think, how many defensive penalties did we have? I can't even think of that right now. I mean.
1: No, that's a really good question.
5: They they had a targeting call that they had and at one point. was taken on. away. Yep.
1: And, and Farmer
2: had a pass, a P.I.
1: Yeah. Which I think was a little bit bogus because he was turning around. He just didn't quite get there. You know, but
2: in terms of like a play of effort, like, so, so Farmer had the P.I. Yeah. And, and that was, but that was more of an effort play. And that you're talking about a young guy, and it was, you know, he was fighting for the ball. Maybe you don't get the head turn quick enough, but I can live with those. Yeah, but Mac, that's the thing right there. We can all live with effort, especially on defense.
5: Effort penalties on defense are completely different than just, a, you know,
2: lack of focus or a lack of technique penalties, too. We talked about this with last year's Minnesota team. They had terrible the first couple, three games. They won barely against lesser opponents, but they won. A team that plays with confidence is a completely different team regardless of talent. You're looking at an Indiana team right now. They're not that much better athletically than anybody else out there. Don't let anybody confuse you. They have no business competing with Ohio State. But if they do, and if they they make that a game... It is because they're playing with a confidence and a belief that they can win, and that's the kind of margin that you need to take your to take your team from a competitor to a champion. You yep. have to believe you yep. can win, and and that's a, Indiana is a team right now that believes they can win. Anything can happen, yep. so like that's the difference with with college football, and that's what maddens me when when people try to tell me how good Nebraska can be. You have no idea. You, you're absolutely blowing smoke up. I'll tell you Whatever. what. I'll tell to you to what, make that happen,
5: Nebraska in the third quarter of the Penn State game, I think we were scared at times. I think we thought that they were going to come back and beat us. I think that, that we I don't thought, think that was the whole team. I, I'm not. Well, you, you may be right, but I think that that's part of this. Like, because I, I, I don't well, think my, Luke McCaffrey thought that. My my point is that seven of eight games we've lost, and at some point you have to end the streak. And whether every guy on the team thought they were going to win it or didn't win it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We won it at the end. And certain guys stood up. And it was you know, Cam Taylor Britt not going to pass down the end zone. It is Ben Stilley, the guy who I said a week ago, I would take off the field on third down in rush situations. I said that. And he's the guy throwing their QB down on that last play. Guys individual players had to step up in key situations to end that game and just say, this is it. We're done with this game. We were up by on you guys by 21 points. Wins, and, wins are, wins are and we so, got the win. And wins now that, are so impactful. And now that we have that win, let's go and
3: beat Illinois, fellas.
1: I like it. I like it. All right, let's get into our parting shots and our predictions. I'll start with Boomer.
3: Well, uh, parting shots, I guess uh, – First thing I had, Honky, you'd asked for trivia questions earlier uh, before we started the show. What is the significance of the 1892 Nebraska-Illinois meeting? Mm.
5: Oh, man, that's a great question, Boomer. It, I have no idea.
1: I'll guess it was the first uh, Big Ten opponent that we played. No, we played Iowa probably for that.
3: You're in the right direction there, Dave. That is actually the first non or uh, out-of-state team that Nebraska ever defeated. Oh, it was Illinois in 1892, six to zero. George Flippin was on that team, and they were able to win that game. So uh, oh, great. that's great. Cool. So we have a we have a long history with Illinois, and usually we curb stomp them. So that's good to know.
5: That's good to
3: know. Prediction wise, Illinois is not good. I, I I don't see a lot out of them this year. So let's just say 31-17.
1: 3117. Alright. Right around that point spread of uh 14 and a half, I believe it opened up bad, and I've already seen it go up to 15 and a half. Really surprised about that.
2: All right, uh, Mac. I'm gonna say Luke goes time and a half on his last score, and it's gonna be forty five to I'll say twenty one. Forty five twenty one.
1: Alright, sounds good. All right, and
5: honky. This is a game that we need to get some guys out there on the field. By the end of the game, they're going to be backups. They're going to be, you know, this is a depth kind of building game. I'm just going to say, just for the sake of it, I'll say 38 to 17, but this needs to be a, a comfortable win.
1: All right. Sounds good. Well, um, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. This team doesn't seem to make anything comfortable. Um, last year we should have also beat Illinois by, multiple touchdowns, and I think it was a four point advantage. We have beaten Illinois by multiple touchdowns in other years, um, so it's, it's out there. If this is the, the game to do it, um, that'll be great. The point spread, like I mentioned, uh, around two touchdowns, when I first saw that, I thought it was too high, um, uh, because I just haven't, this team hasn't proven to me that they can actually win by two touchdowns. So I'll go Huskers 35. Fighting a lion, eye, twenty-seven. Well, I think that will do it. Let's call that a go big red cast. Big red, the
5: lion.